Yes, sir. Yeah. Come on now. Love it, love it, love it. Love it. I know that he will. I know that he will. He'll fight your battle. <laughs> you won't even know you're in the battle. He's already knocked out the enemy. It's just amazing. Yeah, I know he will. I know he will. Lord Hammer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bless you. Bless you. Letting him use you. I love those songs. I'm just gonna say this for this is this is my plug. I'm not gonna make it too many times for being here in the presence, being here in worship. I know we have the opportunity to do it virtually, but you can't get into it on a song like that in your kitchen. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just, you just can't get into it like that. I mean, when you look around and you see everybody in here saying, I know that he will. Oh, you're talking about validation. Yeah, you're not alone when you know he will. Everybody in here was just into it. I know that he will. Even Dylan was over there just into it. Dylan had his hand up waving. Yeah, because he know he will. Yeah. Dylan ain't but a few months old, y'all. I was just, if you don't know who Dylan is. But he was grooving. I, I normally go into the month of, of uh, November with a series I have for many, many years now. Concentrating on stewardship. That seemed to have fit well in the calendar, so we've just kept doing it. And even though we're still in October, I kind of want to turn that way a little bit with the new series that we think will go through in the month of November. The name of the series is Questions God Asks. Questions God Asks. Yeah. Questions from God. You ever notice that at certain intervals in the Bible, as people are interacting with God, he'll ask them a question. I think from those questions from God and the answers from the people he's talking to, that there are so many lessons we can learn about our relationship with the Lord. And there's so many of them. You probably read through the Bible. When you're reading through, you might hit the question and not even think about it much, but so much behind it. Starts in Genesis and carries on throughout Scripture. From the very first part of the Bible, his first interactions with man, God starts asking questions. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Yeah, and we can go on. We'll give you a list of the ones we're talking about. But there is a question in a discourse. Well, it's not really a discourse. It's God taking care of one of his prophets. 
It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. Be hard for us to go through the Old Testament and not talk about this prophet as he's considered one of the one of the top or more respected or best received prophets in the Old Testament. His name is Elijah. We preached about him a couple of last month, as a matter of fact, we talked about his interaction with the widow. But if you'll turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to give you some biblical background on God dealing with him, starting at verse 1. I'm sure they'll display it for your reading on the monitor, but it's also good if you got your Bible with you that you get your Bible so you can, or whatever you're reading in your app, so you can follow along as I go through, as I go through the scripture. First John, I mean, I mean, uh, First Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 1, and it reads, indulge me reading this. These Old Testament passages are long. But they tell a story, my Lord. And Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, who was his queen, all that Elijah had done. And withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I, make not, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. I'm reading from the King James Version. And when he, he being Elijah, saw that, he rose and went for his life, ran for his life. She scared him because she threatened his life. Ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, also known as a broom tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my brothers. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, Here we go. What? Doest thou hear, Elijah? 
let me paraphrase that. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before him. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was also, I mean, it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Two times God is asking, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets unto the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shephaz, and Abimelech, shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that accepted the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escaped from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah slay. And then he said something that we should remember. Verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So he left and departed thence and found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast him, cast his mantle upon him. Now I know that's a lot of reading. <laughs> he didn't mean it like that. He didn't mean it like that. I hear you, Brother Flowers. <laughs> That's only for y'all who thought it was a lot of reading. Yes. <laughs> yes. Y'all want big truths from small stories. They don't come like that. Elijah had been working hard for the Lord. 
He was in dangerous times. He was, he was operating in times like we have now. Folk don't want to hear about the Lord. Folk don't want to take the time to get to know him. In fact, when they heard you were working for the Lord, they were killing you. They were getting rid of people. And Elijah kept repeating his resume in this conversation, this discourse with the Lord. He kept saying, Lord, I've been jealous for you, which means I have worked for you and you alone. I've been concentrating on what you wanted me to do. And I go out and I do exactly what you tell me to do. And in the strength of you, Lord, I go out and I fight all these idol-worshiping prophets. And I get rid of them. And what you don't know from the backstory is that he had just killed 850 prophets by himself devoted to Baal. He was so pumped up, the Bible says, when he killed those 700, I mean 850 prophets, that he ran back to the city ahead of the king. The Bible says it wasn't no short distance that he ran either. It said it was about 20 miles away. But he was so full of endorphins that he made it back to the city before Ahab the king. Now why would you run so fast to get back before Ahab the king? Because the king is coming to celebrate your victory. But see, Elijah at that point in time, though he was working for the Lord, he also liked to be lauded. Yeah, he liked to be celebrated. And so he gets there ready to get the attaboys and the great jobs and the, we so proud of you and thank you for everything you've done. And instead of getting the hug and the adulation from the folk, Jezebel did the okie doke on him. She said, if you ain't dead by tomorrow, it ain't because I ain't tried to kill you. Now this is the queen of the kingdom that he has just fought to try to instill God's love into. And she turned against him because she was an evil something. Oh yeah, that's why her name has gone down in infamy. Not for good things, but for bad things. You do not want to pull the name Jezebel out of the baby name book and name your baby that because ain't nobody else named Jezebel. Oh, wait, that's cute. I'm going to name her Jezebel Aisha. No, do not do that. All right? Do not do that. The Bible says that Ahab, the king, because not all the kings of Israel were good, and Ahab was a horrible one. And the Bible says that he and his wife did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. This is the king. This is the king of God's people. And Ahab was, I mean, Elijah was called to preach and prophesy for those people. And so what happens when she threatens his life, David? Well, he does what we do normally. He got scared. Because that's a normal reaction when somebody threatens to do you bodily harm. It didn't matter that he had just killed 850 people by himself with the strength of the Lord. The natural fear that we all have when something happens to us took over. 
And so I came to tell you this today, and write this down if you don't have anything, that fear and faith can be in the place at the same time. All right? Fear and faith can be in your life at the same time. I don't want you to think that because you're fearful, that doesn't mean you don't have faith. All right? The opposite of faith is doubt or unbelief. Well, it's unbelief. The opposite of faith is unbelief, not fear. All right, I want to straighten that out. I want, to, I want you to understand that because you and I both know there are situations that we walk into that we have faith, but we're scared. We're scared, but we walk on in there anyway. Anybody ever been to a doctor's appointment? Don't know what's going to happen when you walk in there. You're fearful of what you're going to hear, but that don't mean you don't have faith. Lord, I trust you. Help me. And then say, help my unbelief. In other words, in the places that I'm weak, help me. Yeah, so let's, let's make sure we understand that. Why was Elijah in this place? Let me see if I can walk this through. First, you should know that his situation identifies how we go through problems too. Okay? And the first thing you should know is he was depleted by victory. He was depleted by victory. He was exhausted. I told you he had just fought a battle, whether or not it, you killed 850 folk, or you did whatever you had to do in your place that the victory came. He was exhausted mentally and physically. And usually you'll find that we are vulnerable after our greatest victory. Yeah, when we've just celebrated something, when we're on top of the world, sitting on top of the world. Da, 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 da. Yeah, somehow I knew, no. It would be you, you turn my grace guy through. But he was depleted, exhausted. Somebody in here probably has experienced that before, yeah. The scene that comes to mind for this is the fact that this man was so spent by his exuberance to the Lord that he didn't have anything left for himself. And he gets there and he realizes that even though I've given God everything I have, I need something for me right now because this woman is threatening to kill me. What am I to do about that? His spiritual high came crashing, crashing down. He couldn't turn to the people who should naturally have had his back. That would be the king and the queen. But instead, it's the king and the queen who are after him. Who are, well, the queen more than the king because the king was just feckless. He was just the original henpick king. Oh, it was the case now. He, she ran the house. She ran the palace. And so going to him would do no good. The most vulnerable point in your life is right after you've experienced a, a, a great victory, a mighty victory. Yeah, so if you want me to put it more basic than that, when we come off the mountain, we often go straight into the valley, all right? 
So he was depleted. Not only was he depleted, Reg, he was disoriented. He was depleted and he was disoriented by fear. That's what fear does. Fear helps you not be able to see straight. Fear makes things skewed when you look at them. So instead of being impressed with Jezebel, I mean impressed with Elijah, Jezebel provoked fear in him. How can that be? How can that be? That this one woman can upset him when he's just killed 850 men. What is it? Because he couldn't think straight. He was disoriented. Basic common sense would tell you that the power this woman had would have been in all the prophets she had that he had just killed. So she had no power to do anything to him, and yet because she was who she was, he was afraid. It consumed all his thoughts. That's what happens, Cass. When you're afraid, you pour, you pour over and over and over the situation in your mind. Rehearse it, I call it. You rehearse the situation over and over as if in your mind you can come out with a different outcome. But you can't do that when you're disoriented because you're not thinking straight. Yeah. He should have laughed at her. Instead, the Bible says he ran away from her. Fear affected his faith. It didn't eliminate his faith, but it affected his faith. His focus shifted from God to his problem. When you take your eye off God, you're already messing up in any situation. Tucks his tail and he runs. And he went about as far south as he could. Yeah. Can I tell you something? This is the cheat code in Christendom. The only hold the devil has on you, the enemy has on you, is fear. That's his hold on you. When you can't, when you're not afraid of what he can do, when you're wise to his schemes, then he doesn't have the control over you. But he gets you operating in fear. And he disorients you from what God has done and what God is capable of doing. Remember, in the end, in the end, he has to report to God. He has to do what God tells him to do and can never do any more than God allows him to do. You ought to always remember that. And so we, here we have this man, this prophet of God, who was depleted and disoriented. He was also, this is important, disconnected. He ran away from people as opposed to going to people who could encourage him. He disconnected himself. Isn't that what we do when we're afraid of something, especially men, men who think they're supposed to handle everything by themselves, who think it's not masculine to show somebody that you're afraid of something or something gets you off balance. He ran away. He was in emotional overdrive. He was fatigued. He was exhausted. He was tired, and he was isolated. And all he did was play this over and over and over in his mind, which only made him more and more anxious. He was running on, on fumes. 
from a mental health standpoint, he would be called manic. He was manic. He was having a significant manic episode. And there was nothing to bring him down from where he was. And anybody who might have helped him see reason, he distanced himself from. Now watch this now. He's not the only one. We do that. When we're in situations that are tough in our lives, we don't go around folk. We get away from folk. We get off to ourselves. And while we're off to ourselves, we play it over and over, and it makes it seem larger than it is. And you start thinking, I'm the only one that's ever gone through this. And I know other folk have had similar experiences, but ain't nobody ever gone through what I'm going through right now because my situation is unique. And the truth of the matter is the Bible tells us that there is nothing new. The other folk have gone through what you've gone through and maybe even worse. But in your eyesight, you think you're the only one. And, and, and Elijah had the nerve to tell God that two times in that passage, if you were still awake when I was reading it. Two times. He said, Lord, I've been jealous for you. I've been fighting for you. I've killed all these prophets for you. He kept repeating his resume to the omniscient one. To the God who knows everything, he thinks he got to tell him who I am. And God should have said, I'm here with you. I didn't run here with you. I'm here with you, which means I must have been with you all the way. From the time you left the city to the time you came out here in the wilderness, I've been with you all the way. And yet you think you have to tell me what you've done for me? God says, I know what you've done for me. And whatever wilderness you find yourself in right now, I came to tell you, he knows where you are. He's been with you the entire time. He sees you. Elijah went out and found himself a cave that he hid in as if that was going to protect him if somebody really wanted him. And so he was depleted, he was disoriented, he was disconnected, and then the last thing is this, and I want you to hear me loud and clear, he was distracted by self-pity. All right? He's depleted, I'm tired, disoriented by fear, I'm scared, disconnected by isolation, I'm by myself. And then he's distracted by self-pity. Woe is me. Ain't nobody ever been through this before. I'm the only one that's ever had this problem in my life. Nobody else has gone through this. God, why you put all this on me? You said you'd be with me. But here I am in this situation. He had forgotten completely that God's presence was with him. He couldn't even see the reality of the fact that he wasn't even arguing with himself. God was God enough to let him argue with him. He stood there and took the argument, and yet he still was distracted by self-pity so much that he thought he was by himself. That's how fear 
and disorientation will have you. You won't be seen straight. What's reality will not be reality because that's what fear does. It makes you unbalanced. And I know that some of you have been going through a lot. I know you have. I know it's been some, and, and don't let me diminish what you're going through. You've been going through some difficult times. Nobody would willingly take your place in the situation you're in, and yet others have been in your place. Yeah, others have been what, through what you're going through, and if not, they will be coming along to perhaps go through the same thing. How you handle this situation will either draw you closer to the Lord or drive you away from him. And it's never his intention that you be pushed away from him. Just like it wouldn't be for your natural parent. They want you to be well, your parents do. So too does the Lord. But he also knows that in this life, sin means we go through stuff. The question is, will you turn to him so that he can see you through it? You might feel like you've tried everything you know. But I'm going to ask you to try this prescription God wrote a remedy, sat there, Dr. God, the healer. Yeah, Jehovah Rothi provided an opportunity for them to get better. He filled the order there in the desert. Gave Elijah what he needed under those circumstances. And the first thing he did the first prescription he wrote, you're going to be surprised. The first thing he wrote for Elijah to do was get some rest. We discounted. Rest was the first thing he said. Rest. You heard me read it if you were still awake. You heard me say he came there, he lay under what? A broom tree. And the Bible said after his exhaustive journey there, and some of you may not have gone physically far, but you may have gone mentally far, and you're exhausted. You're exhausted. You may be sitting in one place every day, all day, but you're exhausted. You need to get some rest. Your mind needs to get some rest. You need to get the situation out of your mind. You need to rest. You need to get something to take your mind off the situation you find yourself in because all day, all night, all you do is think about it. Every conversation you have with anybody who calls, all you do is talk about it. You got to get some rest. And how does it say in this scripture, this passage that I read? Well, he came and the Bible says he lay under the broom tree and he went to sleep. And then the Bible says, David, that he woke up from his slumber and somehow DoorDash had been there. Somehow, right by the door. They didn't even ring the doorbell to wake him up. But by the door, he went out there and looked and there was a cake of bread and a flask of water. Yeah, maybe it was Uber Eats, but one of them had delivered right there to him. And the Bible says he rolled over and he ate the cake and he drank the water and he went back to sleep. Went back to sleep because he needed more rest because God directed him 
to rest. And after God had given him time to replenish himself, we're talking not minutes, we're talking days. We're talking weeks that he had to rest. We want to do everything in a microwave way. We even want to rest quick. We do. It, 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 I don't know if it would even qualify as a nap. We go to my granddaddy's house after he retired and we see him in the back. He said, I'm going in the back, y'all. We said, all right, well, you gonna catch a nap? Son, I don't nap. He said, I sleep. <laughs> he said, I'm going to get a sleep. <laughs> Forget that napping stuff. Yeah, we need to learn the value of sleep. What sleep does. Raise your hand in here if you got a computer. Raise your hand. Yeah, ooh, that's everybody in here just about. Man, I wouldn't have expected that, but all right. Everybody's got a computer. Now tell me if you do this. If you have a computer and every week or two you turn your computer all the way off and turn it all the way on, raise your hand. Yeah, not everybody, but everybody should. Everybody should. All the tech, all the tech people will tell you that your computer, which we leave on all the time, is always working, always working. And because you never turn it down or turn it off, you never give it time to, to rest. And guess what comes in while it's always working? Junk, junk. Maybe viruses, probably viruses, try to get in because it's always working and you don't know it because you're always on it. So you don't see when something comes in the back door because like me, probably you don't have enough tech ability to know when something's wrong. But guess what else comes in while it's always working like that and never gets to help? Updates. Updates to your software come in and in fact you see it and you just exit out it says, this will be applied the next time you restart your computer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know that Bible verse you've been reading? That's an update. But it don't apply because you just put it in the queue. It never gets a chance to come into your life because you don't give it a chance to work into you until you can shut it down and meditate on it maybe even pray on it, and then it gets into your, it gets into your mind, let's say that, and gets out of your queue. And it helps you to be a better you. But you don't allow the updates in your life to take place. It may not be a Bible verse, it may be an experience that you went through that you never really sat down and just thought about it. Just meditated on it. What happened here? But when you go to sleep, you can see that in a different way once you wake up. Shut down all the way. Shut down all the way. And when you come on, it's an amazing thing. When you turn your computer back on, have you ever noticed this? It said it may take a minute for these to apply. Because it has to put everything back in order. Not only that, I know this from the old computers. From the old computers, every now and then, I would have to come in, you don't have to do this anymore because computers are so much better. I would have to go in and defragment my hard drive. 
Y'all remember that? Yeah, yeah, it's a program, you hit it, and it would say uh, defragmentation program. And that's because when you use program, it like takes it off the shelf, okay? And it stays off the shelf until you can put everything back in working order. Now the computers are so fast, it does the processes before you can even see it. But then you'd have to wait a little while while the defragmentation process put all the A files in A, all the B files in B, and that's what's happening. You got stuff in the wrong file cabinet. You need to make sure it's in the right file cabinet. And where does that come in? Rest. Rest, rest, rest. Your body was designed to need rest. You need to rest like you need to eat. You need to rest like you need water. It's never designed to go 100% all the time. You gotta slow down. Don't be afraid to tell people, no, I'm not doing that. This weekend, I'm staying at the house. I'm going to rest. All right, that's important. That's important. But also be true when other people tell you that. All right? It might be something that's important to you, but they may need to rest, respect that. The other thing is he got him to do was recommit to him. That's the second prescription he wrote. He gave him prescription to rest, and then he gave him prescription according to verses 8 through 13 to recommit to him. See, because when we're emotionally strung out, it's easy to think that everybody's against us and we forget that God is who he says he is. Yeah, we no longer have any emotional margins. Margins, margins, margins. My sermon, they have margins on it. You don't write everything off the page. All right, that's how we live our lives, right here on the edge. Right on the edge of the paper and every now and then, stuff falls off. All right, there may be important things that don't come off. We have to live our lives with margin in it so that we always have some space, faith, safe space. Can I tell you this? When he arrived at that cave, Elijah spent the night in the cave, and then God came to him, and he asked him the question, I came to ask you today, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why are you all the way here from the city? Why have you run all the way out here? And I came to ask somebody today, what cave are you hiding in? What cave have you been hiding in? Why haven't people been able to see you and know you and be able to, to experience the fullness of a relationship with you? What have you been trying to isolate yourself from? People are part of your medicine too. I know. I know sometimes the medicine you get comes with needles, just like people. Yeah. But there's also something that good that comes through that syringe. Even though it comes with a needle, you need what it's pushing to you. We all got them folk in our family. They kind of prickly, but we love them because they always bring us something good. I know how to put up with them. We may be that person, all right? We may be that person in our family that we count a prickly, but we always come with good stuff that makes people better. That's part of the medicine that you got to have, but you can't get it when you're hiding in the cave. 
You can't. You can't. God said, I'm going to bless you. I want to remind you who I am. I'm going to give you the gift of seeing me. See, when, when you were asleep, I said that when I was reading it. God said, I'm going to bless you by allowing you to see me. And so, while he was in the cave, God caused the mountain to start shaking. And it started crumbling. And the wind started coming and shaking the mountain. This is the same mountain. Can I tell you how God does things? He's got favorite places to go just like we do. Mount Horeb was the same mountain that God let Moses see in. So apparently Mount Horeb is the mountain that God shows himself on. Do you ever find yourself over there on Mount Horeb? Watch out, because God might just show himself to you like he did for Moses and Elijah. Or maybe God, who can do whatever he wants to, won't wait till you come to Mount Horeb. Maybe he'll do it in your house. In this instance, guess what he did? He came, shook the mountain, but the Bible says that God wasn't in that. And then he caused an earthquake. Most would expect, whoa, this is a big thing, but the Bible says God wasn't in that. And then he caused a fire to come up. All this going on, my horror was active that weekend, but God wasn't in that. And then, I love this, Deborah, that the Bible says that something happened that was so counterproductive to our relationship that God caused what I believe was a supernatural quiet. Can you imagine being outside? And it's completely quiet. Completely. No birds. No animals. Can't hear the water. Can't hear anything. It's so quiet that the quietness is a backdrop to something happening. And God spoke to him. And the Bible says it was in the still, quiet voice. Turn off the TV. Turn off all the noise that you can turn off in the house. And just sit there and listen to God. And see if he too speaks to you at this time. And the Bible says that Elijah was thrilled when he heard God's voice in the stillness. And some of us have been missing God speaking to us because we got too much other junk coming at us. And we need to turn it all, turn it all off. And so he gave him rest. He said, recommit to me. He said, come out that cave you're in because I need you not to be hiding in that cave. And then he says, Report for duty. See, this is the part we miss. When God got Elijah rested, when God got Elijah reconnected, God said, now it's time for you to report back for duty. He gave him an assignment. He said, get up, leave this place. Go out there and anoint this man as the king of Israel and this man as the king of Syria. And he said, and then I want you to go out and there's somebody I want you to meet. And he meant, I want you to meet the one who's going to take your place. 
And the last verse I read, he met Elisha. Elisha was out doing basic stuff, just in the fields working. He didn't even have no idea he was about to become the successor to God's man. He was just doing his job, and along comes the prophet, the most famous man in the community, comes walking up on him and calls him and says, come on, I want you to follow me. Who knows what you'll be doing when God gives you your assignment? Who knows where you'll be when the man of God comes and says, God has need of you to do certain things, but you can't find out if you're still in the cave. God is telling you now, get up, report for duty. People need to be helped and healed and saved. Your situation is already in God's hand. You're already in God's hand. God needs you to be helping somebody else out. Stop wallowing in self-pity and get up and help somebody. You want to get better. The way you get better is to help somebody else get better. Get up. And the last thing is, and reconnect with people. Because we need people. That's our mission. That ain't just the preacher's job. I can't save everybody from the pulpit on Sunday. We got to get out the building and talk to people and touch people and tell them how good God is to us. We got to show them what God has done in our lives. Help me lift Jesus to other folk. Go out there and show them by your life that you're lifting Jesus. That's what he needs us to do. That's how you reconnect with people. I'll never meet them folk you work with. i never meet them, but that's who you need to convince that Jesus is real. And how do I know? Because he's real in your life. He's real in your life every day. That's your job, not just my job. If I stay in this place however long and I fail to reach you and tell you that it ain't just the preacher's job to tell somebody about the Lord, it's your job. And 145th Street be doing a great work. If everybody we touch on our jobs and in our community know we connected to the Lord. And the only way they're gonna know that is not because of Reverend Sparks, it's because of you. So the songwriter said go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ was born but the good news is this y'all we don't have to stop the story with him being born I know in a few weeks we're going to testify about him being born but you and I know that December has no blessing without Easter without resurrection. We can tell the rest of the story that the one who was born also died for us. And he died for us and was resurrected. That's the Jesus that we're talking about. That's who Elijah and Elisha were making the way ready for. That's who they were prophesying about. And we're at the other end of the story now. So get up. Get out. Reconnect. While the choir stands to sing this song, the doors of our church are wide, wide, wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. You're here for the first time, then we invite you to be a part of our church family. If you're here and you need to reconfigure, maybe today is the day he's talked to you about reconnecting. We are here for you. 
We're ready for you. Come to us. resurrected for you. He will save. He will save. Yeah.